Oh, Lord, we just thank you for today. We just thank you for your blessings to us, for safety. We just pray for safekeeping for everybody in Florida as this storm comes. You could just turn it away back into the water. But so we just leave it with you, Lord, and ask that you protect people. And just be with us today in your word. Bless it to our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. We're in chapter 4 of 1 Corinthians. And you remember, 3 ended with this verse 19. The wisdom of this world is foolishness with God, and that's true. For it's written, he catches the wise in their own craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they're futile. Therefore, let no one glory in men, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas, that Peter, or the world or life or death or things present or things to come, all are yours, and you are Christ's, and Christ is God. Let a man so consider us, Paul said, as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Now, the mystery would be something that was unknown. All they had was the Old Testament, no New Testament yet. So the mysteries of God would be things that would be revealed in the New Testament, like what would you think? Like the rapture, that's a mystery. I show you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we'll be caught away. There are other mysteries, a mystery of Jew and Gentile in one at the church. That was a mystery unknown in the Old Testament. Paul says he's a steward of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it's required in stewards that one be found faithful not eloquent or, you know, have many gifts, but faithful. I rejoice in that, just and for you and me to be faithful. That's what we need to be. But with me, Paul said, it's a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by a human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself, for I know nothing against myself, yet I am not justified by this. He's not declared righteous. He doesn't see anything wrong with what he's doing. He said, I'm not justified or declared righteous before God by this, but he who judges me is the Lord. Therefore, judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes, who will both bring to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsels of the heart. And then each one's praise will come from God. Now, these things, brethren, I have figuratively transferred to myself and Apollos for your sakes that you may learn in us not to think beyond what is written, but that none of you may be puffed up on behalf of one against the other. For who makes you differ from another? And what do you have that you did not receive? Now, if you indeed receive it, why do you glory as if you had not received it? You're already full. You're already rich, he says to the Corinthians. You have reigned as kings without us. And indeed, I wish you did reign that we also might reign with you. For I think that God has displayed us, the apostles, last. He's put us on the stage last, as men condemned to death. For we have been made a spectacle to the world, both to angels and to men. That's an interesting thing. So evidently, angels can observe what we do down here. Angels and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake. But you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you're strong. You are distinguished, but we are dishonored. See, he's really telling them the way it is. They really aren't distinguished, but and he said, we should be honored, but we're dishonored. The apostles, even to this present hour, we both hunger and thirst, Paul said, and we are poorly clothed and beaten and homeless. And we labor, working with our own hands, being reviled, we bless, being persecuted, we endure it, being defamed, we entreat. We have been made as the filth of the world, the offscouring of all things until now. I do not write these things to shame you, but as my beloved children, I warn you, for though you might have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, Paul said, I have begotten you through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you, imitate me. For this reason, I have sent Timothy to you, who is my beloved and faithful son in the Lord, who will remind you of my ways in Christ. That's a wonderful way of putting 
my ways in Christ are written in these New Testament letters that we have from Paul. Timothy and, and Cephas, Peter, will remind you when they come of my ways in Christ as I teach everywhere in every church. Now, some are puffed up as though I were not coming to you, but I will come to you shortly if the Lord wills. And I will know not the word of those who are puffed up, but the power. For the kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. What do you want? Shall I come to you with a rod or in love and a spirit of gentleness? It is actually reported. Now he's going to get down to what's wrong with them in Corinth. It's actually reported that there's sexual immorality among you there in the church in Corinth. Such sexual immorality as is not even named among the Gentiles, that a man has his father's wife, incest, and you are puffed up and have not rather mourned that he who has done this deed might be taken away from among you. For I indeed, as absent in body but present in spirit, have already judged as though I were present concerning him who has so done this deed. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you are gathered together along with my spirit, with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, deliver such a one, this man, to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that his spirit, that would be, give him over so he dies the sin unto death. First John five sixteen. The destruction of the flesh, that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Your glorying is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens a whole lump? You start out to make bread, and I start out with just a little yeast, put a little water on it, warm water, and in a little while it doubles in bulk. A little leaven, and leaven is always a picture in the Bible of evil, how it spreads like yeast does. Your glorying is not good. Don't you know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Therefore purge out the old leaven. Put this man away from you, that you may be a new lump, since you're truly unleavened. For indeed Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. Therefore let us keep the feast of the Passover, not with old leaven or with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. I wrote to you in my epistle not to keep company with sexually immoral people. Yet I certainly didn't mean with the sexually immoral people of this world, or with the covetous or extortioners or idolaters, since then you would need to go out of the world. But now I have written to you not to keep company with anyone named a brother, another Christian, who is a fornicator or covetous or an idolater or a reviler or a drunkard or an extortioner, not even to eat with such a person. For what have I to do with judging those who are without? Do you not judge those who are inside? But those who are outside, unbelievers, God judges. Therefore, put away from yourselves that wicked person. Dare any of you, having a matter against another, go to law before the unrighteous, the unsaved, and not before the saints? Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world is going to be judged by you, are you unworthy to judge the smallest matters? Do you not know that we shall judge angels? Did you know that? Did you not know, Paul says, that we are going to judge angels? How much more things that pertain to this life? If then you have judgments concerning things pertaining to this life, do you appoint those who are least esteemed by the church to be the judge? I say this to your shame. Is it so that there's not even a wise man among you, not even one? who will be able to judge between his brethren or discern. But brother goes to law against brother, and that before non-believers. Now, therefore, it is already an utter failure for you that you go to law against one another. Why do you not rather accept wrong? Why do you not rather let yourselves be defrauded? No, you yourselves do wrong and defraud, and you do these things to your brethren. Do you not know that the unrighteous, the wicked, the unbeliever, will not inherit the kingdom of God, or will have any inheritance in God's kingdom. Do not be deceived. Now, we'll have an inheritance judged by the Lord who's going to judge our works, whether they're gold, silver, precious stone, or wood, or hay, or stubble. 
That's in 1 Corinthians 3. Go back there a minute because that's how you and I are going to be judged. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 3.11, he said, I've built the foundation of your church there in Corinth, and I have to leave and start other churches, and someone else is going to build on my foundation. For no other foundation, verse 11, can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on this foundation, this is our Christian life and how we live it, building it, walking in it, doing it. Now, if anyone builds on this foundation, here are the building materials, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw. Each one's work, not your salvation, but there's going to be rewards when Jesus comes or loss of rewards. Each one's work or production in the Christian life will become manifest for the day, 2 Corinthians 5, the judgment day of Jesus. For the day will declare it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. Don't you know that you're the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? If anyone defiles the temple of God, God will destroy him. For the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. And this destroying doesn't mean send you to hell, because once you're saved, you're always saved, but you lose reward or rewards from Jesus. If anyone defiles the temple of God, God will take him like Ananias and Sapphira, the sin unto death, take you home early. Let no one deceive himself, verse 18. If anyone among you seems to be wise in this age, let him become a fool. So this teaches you another place that there are ages in the Bible. We don't live in the age of the law under Moses. We don't live in the age of, of Abraham under promise, but we live in the church age. In this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. For it's written, he catches the wise in their own craftiness. And that's from Job chapter 5. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they're futile. That's Psalm 94:11. Therefore, let no one glory in men, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Peter or the world or life or death or things present or things to come. All are yours, and you are Christ, and Christ is God. So back to chapter 6, verse 9. Do you not know that the unrighteous, the wicked, will not inherit the kingdom of God. They'll get there, but they won't have any inheritance in it. They get there by faith in Jesus. Will not inherit the kingdom of God. Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. Before you were a believer, you did these things, but you're washed by the blood of Jesus Christ. You were washed. You were sanctified, set apart by God. You were justified, declared righteous in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. All things are lawful for me, Paul says. All things under the law, the law is dead, but all things are not helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. I don't want to be a slave to anything. Foods for the stomach and the stomach for foods. But God will destroy both it and them. Now the body is not for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And God will raise up the Lord who raised up Jesus will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a harlot? Certainly not. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a harlot is one body with her? For the two, he says, shall become one flesh. That's from Genesis. But he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body. But he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. 
Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you're not your own? For you were bought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Now concerning the things of which you wrote to me, it is good for a man not to touch a woman, or not to marry may mean. Nevertheless, because of sexual immorality, let each man have his own wife, and let each woman have her own husband. Let the husband render to his wife the affection due her, and likewise also the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another except with consent for a time that you may give yourselves... Um, now, this is not in the old Bibles, but give yourselves to prayer. Fasting is not included, but it is in this Bible, so I'm, I'll read it. That you may give yourselves to fasting and prayer and come together again so that Satan does not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. But I say this as a concession, not as a commandment. For I wish that all men, or even as I myself... But each one has his own gift from God, one in this manner and another in that. But I say to the unmarried and to the widows, it is good for them if they remain even as I am. But if they cannot exercise self-control, let them marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. Now to the married I command, yet not I but the Lord, a wife is not to depart from her husband. But even if she does depart, let her remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband. And the husband is not to divorce his wife. But to the rest, like Christians married to unbelievers, but to the rest I, not the Lord, say, if any brother has a wife who does not believe and she's willing to live with him, let him not divorce her. And a woman who has a husband who does not believe, if he is willing to live with her, let her not divorce him, for the unbelieving husband is sanctified, or set apart by the Lord, is sanctified by the wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. Otherwise your children would be unclean, but now they are holy. But if the unbeliever departs, let him depart. A brother or sister is not under bondage in such cases, but God has called us to peace. For how do you know, O wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, O husband, whether you will save your wife? But as God has distributed to each one, as the Lord has called each one, so let him walk. And so, Paul says, I ordain in all the churches. Was anyone called while circumcised? Let him not become uncircumcised. Was anyone called while uncircumcised? Let him not be circumcised. Circumcision is nothing. An uncircumcision is nothing, but keeping the commandments of God is what matters. Let each one remain in the same calling in which he was called. Were you called while a slave? Do not be concerned about it. But if you can be made free, rather use it. For he who is called in the Lord while a slave is the Lord's freedman. Likewise, he who is called while free is Christ's slave. You were bought at a price. Do not become slaves of men. Brethren, let each one remain with God in that calling in which he was called. Now concerning virgins, probably a man's uh, single daughter. Now concerning virgins, I have no commandment from the Lord, yet I give judgment as one whom the Lord in his mercy has made trustworthy. I suppose, therefore, that this is good because of the present distress, that it's good for a man to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be loosed. Are you loosed from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But even if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she hasn't sinned. Nevertheless, such will have trouble in the flesh, <laughs> but I would spare you. But this I say, brethren, the time is short, so that from now on, even those who have wives should be as though they had none, and those who weep as though they didn't weep. But those who rejoice as though they did not rejoice, and those who buy as though they did not possess, and those who use this world as not misusing it. 
for the form of this world is passing away. For I want you to be without care. He who is unmarried cares for the things that belong to the Lord, how he may please the Lord. But he who is married cares about the things of the world, how he may please his wife. There is a difference between a wife and a virgin. The unmarried woman cares about the things of the Lord, and she may be both holy in body and spirit. But she who is married cares about the things of the world, how she may please her husband. And this I say for your own profit, not that I may put a leash on you, but for what is proper, that you may serve the Lord without distraction. But if any man thinks he is behaving improperly toward his virgin, if she is past the flower of her youth, and thus it must be, let him do as he wishes. He does not sin, let them marry. Nevertheless, he who stands steadfast in his heart, having no necessity, but has power over his own will, and has so determined in his heart that he will keep his virgin, does well. So then, he who gives her in marriage does well, but he who does not give her in marriage does better. A wife is bound by law as long as her husband lives. But if her husband dies, she's at liberty to be married to whom she wishes, only in the Lord. But she's happier if she remains as she is, according to my judgment. And I think I also have the Spirit of God. Now then, chapter 8. Now concerning things offered to idols, and we don't have that in this age, things offered to idols. We know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. And if anyone thinks that he knows anything, he knows nothing, yet as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, this one is known by him, by God. Therefore, concerning the eating of things, food, first offered to idols, we know that an idol is nothing in the world, and that there's no other God but one. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as there are many gods and many lords, yet for us, there's only one God, the Father, of whom are all things, and we for him, and one Lord Jesus Christ, through whom are all things, and through whom we live. However, there is not in everyone that knowledge. For some, with consciousness of the idol, they think it's a real idol, until now eat it as a thing offered to an idol, and their conscience, being weak, is defiled. But food does not commend us to God, for neither if we eat are we the better, or if we don't eat are we the worse. But beware, lest somehow this liberty of yours become a stumbling block to those who are weak. For if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, and you could take this today in a bar or wherever, for if anyone sees you have knowledge eating or drinking in an idol's temple, Will not the conscience of him who is weak be emboldened to eat those things offered to idols? And because of your knowledge shall the weak brother perish for whom Christ died. But when you thus sin against the brethren and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food, this is the thing to underline, therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat again unless I make my brother stumble. Am I not an apostle? Am I not free? Have I not seen Jesus Christ our Lord? Are you not my work in the Lord? If I am not an apostle to others, yet doubtless I am to you, Paul says to the Corinthians, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. My defense to those who examine me is this. Do we have no right to eat and drink? Do we have no right to take along a believing wife as do also the other apostles, the brothers of the Lord, and Cephas, or Peter? Or is it only Barnabas and I, who have no right to refrain from working? Whoever goes to war at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard and doesn't eat of its fruit? Or who tends a flock and doesn't drink of the milk of the flock? Do I say these things as a mere man, or does not the law say the same thing also? For it's written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain. Is it oxen God is concerned about? Or does he say it altogether for our sakes? 
For our sakes, no doubt, this is written, that he who plows should plow in hope, and he who threshes in hope should be partaker of his hope. If we have sown spiritual things for you, Paul said, is it a great thing if we reap your material things? If others are partakers of this right over you, are we not even more? Nevertheless, we have not used this right, but endure all things, lest we hinder the gospel of Christ. Do you not know that those who minister the holy things eat of the things of the temple, the priest in the Old Testament did, and those who serve at the altar partake of the offerings of the altar? Even so, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should live from the gospel. But I have used none of these things, Paul says, nor have I written these things that it should be done so to me, for it would be better for me to die than that anyone should make my boasting void. For if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of, for necessity is laid upon me. Yes, woe to me if I don't preach the gospel. For if I do this willingly, I have a reward. But if against my will, I have been entrusted with a stewardship. What is my reward then? That when I preach the gospel, I may present the gospel of Christ without charge, that I may not abuse my authority in the gospel. For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win the more. And to the Jews I became as a Jew, that I might win Jews to those who are under the law, as under the law, that I might win those who are under the law. To those who are without law, as without law, not being without law toward God, but under law toward Christ, that I might win those who are without law. To the weak I became as weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. Now this I do for the gospel's sake, that I may be partaker of it with you. Do you not know that those who run in a race, they all run, but one receives the prize? Run the race of life in such a way that you may obtain it. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. Therefore, Paul says, I run thus, not with uncertainty, thus I fight, not as one who beats the air, but I discipline my body and bring it into subjection lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified or put on the shelf. Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers were under the cloud, all passed through the sea. They all went through the Red Sea. All were baptized into Moses. And baptism means placed in union with. And so this is what when they followed Moses, they were, so to speak, placed in union with Moses. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. So there's, there's another baptism beside water baptism put in the same relationship with. They were all baptized into Moses. They were in union with him in the cloud and in the sea. All ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. But with most of them, God was not well pleased, for their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Now these things became our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted, Numbers 11, about wanting quail, and do not become idolaters as some of them. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. And this playing is sexually immoral dancing. Nor let us commit sexual immorality, as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 fell. Numbers chapter 25, verses 1 and 2. Nor let us tempt Christ, as some of them tempted, and were destroyed by serpents. Numbers chapter 1. Nor murmur, as some of them also murmured, and were destroyed by the destroyer. They spoke against Moses and Aaron. Now all these things happened to them as examples, and they are written for our admonition on whom the ends of the ages 
have come. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands. So this, the ends of the ages would be Paul writing that in the beginning of the church age. So we're in the end now of the church age. And then the next age is the kingdom age when Jesus comes back and sets up his kingdom. And after that, there'll be seven ages all in all. Now all these things happened to them as examples. And they were written for our admonition on whom the ends of the ages have come. I guess I wrote these down that Dr. Ironside said. Innocence, conscience, (laughs) human government, law, grace, and then the kingdom, and then eternity. Seven. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you except such as common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted more than you are able, but with the temptation will also make the way to escape that you may be able to bear it. That's a wonderful verse to know. No testing has overtaken you or me, except it's common to man, this testing. But God is faithful. He won't allow us to be tested or tempted beyond what we're able, but will with the testing or temptation make a way of escape. And we better go through that door (laughs) that you may be able to bear it. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak as to wise men, Judge for yourselves what I say. The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? For we being many are one bread and one body, for we all partake of that one bread. Observe Israel after the flesh. Are not those who eat of the sacrifices partakers of the altar? What am I saying then? that an idol is anything, or what is offered to idols is anything. But I say that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons and not to God. So behind idolatry is what? Demonism, demon worship, not to God. And I do not want you to have fellowship with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the Lord's table and of the table of demons. Or do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? All things are lawful for me, but all things are not helpful. All things are lawful for me, but all things don't edify or lift me up. Let no one seek his own, but each one the other's well-being. Eat whatever is sold in the meat market, asking no questions for conscience' sake. For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. If any of those who do not believe invites you to dinner and you desire to go, eat whatever's set before you, asking no question for conscience' sake. But if anyone says to you, this was offered to idols, do not eat it for the sake of the one who told you and for his conscience' sake. For the earth is the Lord's and all its fullness. Conscience, I say, not your own, but that of the other person. For why is my liberty judged by another man's conscience? But if I partake with thanks, why am I evil spoken of for the food over which I give thanks? He said, therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. That's the principle. Whatever you eat or drink, whatever you do, can you do it to the glory of God? Give no offense. Don't offend other people, either to the Jews or to the Greeks or to the church of God. Just as I also please all men in all things, Paul says, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of many that they may be saved. Imitate me, just as I also imitate Christ. Now this part probably is for the early days of the church. Now I praise you, brethren, that you remember me in all things and keep the traditions as I have delivered them to you. But I want you to know that the head of every man is Christ, the head of woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. Every man praying or prophesying, having his head covered. Now then in Corinthians 13, prophecy will cease. These things would cease when something perfect would come. 
when would all of these sign gifts cease being? It says, when that which is perfect is come, that's in the neuter gender, it's the Bible. When the Bible was written and disseminated, then there are no more prophesying because all that we know about prophecy is in the Bible. Every man praying or prophesying, having his head covered, dishonors his head. But every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head, for that is one and the same as if her head were shaved. That's what temple prostitutes, they shave their heads. For if a woman is not covered, let her also be shorn. But if it is shameful for a woman to be shorn or shaved, let her be covered. For a man indeed ought not to cover his head, since he is the image and glory of God. But woman is the glory of man. For man is not from woman, but woman from man. Nor was man created for the woman, but woman for the man. For this reason, the woman ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. Nevertheless, neither is man independent of woman nor woman independent of man in the Lord. For as a woman was also from the man, even so the man also is so Adam and Eve. So God made Eve from Adam's rib. But then when babies are born, man is through the woman. He comes, is born through his mother. But all things are from God. Judge among yourselves. Is it proper for a woman to pray to God with her head uncovered? Does not even nature itself teach you that if a man has long hair, it is a dishonor to him? But if a woman has long hair, it is a glory to her, for her hair is given to her for a covering. But if anyone seems to be contentious or doubting this, we have no such custom, nor do the churches of God. Now, in giving these instructions, I do not praise you, since you come together not for the better, you come together for the worse. For first of all, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and in part I believe it. For there must also be factions among you, that those who are approved may be recognized among you. Therefore, when you come together in one place, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper. For in eating, each one takes his own supper ahead of others, and one is hungry and another is drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I do not praise you. For I receive from the Lord that which I also delivered to you that the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim or you show forth. You proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Therefore, whoever eats this bread, takes communion or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner or with unconfessed sin, will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself and so let him eat of that bread. Be sure you do that before you take communion. If there's anything between you and the Lord, any sin you know of, confess it and ask him to forgive you, and he will. Let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason, many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep or die. For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord, that we may not be condemned with the world. Therefore, my brethren, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. But if anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, lest you come together for judgment. And the rest I will set in order when I come. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant you know that you were Gentiles carried away to these dumb idols, however you were led. 
Therefore, I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed, and no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Now, there are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of activities, but it's the same God who works all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge through the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healings by the same Spirit, to another working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another different kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit works in all these, distributing to each one individually as he will. For as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit, the Holy Spirit, we were all baptized or placed in union into one body, Jesus, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one Spirit. For in fact, the body is not one member, but many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I'm not of the body, is it therefore not the body? And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where would be the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where would be the smelling? But now God has set the members, each one of them, in the body just as he pleased. And if they were all one member, where would the body be? But now indeed there are many members, yet one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. No, much rather those members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, on these we bestow greater honor. And our unpresentable parts have greater modesty. But our presentable parts have no need. But God composed the body, having given greater honor to that part which lacks it, that there should be no schism. Now that's how you pronounce that word. And I hear it pronounced schism, or it's schism, like scissors. There should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. Or if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and members individually. And God has appointed these in the church, first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, after that miracles, then gifts of healing, helps, administrations, variety of tongues, are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, are all workers of miracles, do all have gifts of healing, do all speak with tongues, do all interpret, but earnestly desire the best gifts. Yet I show you a more excellent way. Here's the more excellent way. And I hope you all will memorize this chapter. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become as sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. See, if I have the tongues of men and of angels, angels must have a separate language. But if we don't have love, you're just like a brass sounding or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, but have not love, I'm nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself, is not puffed up does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails, but whether there are prophecies, they will fail, they'll cease. That means to stop. There aren't any prophets today, and if they say they are, they're false prophets. <laughs> Love never fails, but whether there are prophecies, they will fail. 
whether there are tongues, they will stop. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. For we know in part, or piecemeal, and we prophesy. This is in the early church. They didn't have the whole New Testament. We know in part and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect has come, now we need to see this is in the neuter gender, and it means the Bible. When that which is perfect. James one twenty five says calls this Bible the perfect law of liberty. When that comes, the perfect law of liberty, when it's written and disseminated, when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away. When I was a child, I spoke as, as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see it in a mirror dimly, but then face to face, when we have the entire Bible, which we have now. Now I know in part, he could say back in the early days of the church, but then I shall know just as also I am known. See why we need to lay up this Bible in our hearts so that, that we can know all God wants us to know? But then I shall know, just as also I am known. And now, what would stay during this church age? Faith, hope, and love. These three, but the greatest of these is love. Pursue love and desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. For he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. For no one understands him. However, in the spirit he speaks mysteries. But he who prophesies speaks edification or tells about what's going to come in the future and exhortation and comfort to men. He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself. If I spoke to you in, say, Portuguese today, you wouldn't understand me. But I'd, I'd get a kick out of it myself. I'd edify myself. But he who prophesies edifies the church, tells them what's going to happen about the rapture and all. I wish you all spoke with tongues, but even more that you prophesied. For he who prophesies is greater than he who speaks with tongues, unless indeed he interprets that the church may receive edification. Now, brethren, if I come to you speaking with tongues, what shall I profit you unless I speak to you either by revelation, by knowledge, by prophesying or by teaching, even things without life, whether flute or harp, when they make a sound, unless they make a distinction in the sounds, how will be, it be known what is piped or played? For if the trumpet makes an uncertain sound, who will prepare himself for battle? So likewise you, unless you utter by the tongue words easy to understand, how will it be known what is spoken? For you will be speaking into the air, there are, it may be, so many kinds of languages in the world, and none of them is without significance. Therefore, if I do not know the meaning of the language, I shall be a foreigner to him who speaks, and he who speaks will be a foreigner to me. Even so you, since you are zealous for spiritual gifts, let it be for the edification of the church that you seek to excel. Therefore, let him who speaks in a tongue pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. What's the result then? I will pray with the spirit, and I will pray with the understanding. I will sing with the spirit, and I will also sing with the understanding. Otherwise, if you bless with the spirit, how will he who occupies the place of the uninformed say, Amen, at your giving of thanks, and since he doesn't understand what you're saying? For you indeed give thanks well, but the other isn't edified. I thank my God, Paul said, that I speak with tongues more than all of you. Yet in the church, I would rather speak five words with my understanding that I may teach others also than 10,000 words in a tongue. Brethren, do not be children in understanding, however. In malice be babes, but in understanding be mature. In the law, it is written, with men of other tongues and other lips, I will speak to this people, to the Jewish people. And yet, for all that, they will not hear me, says the Lord. Therefore, tongues are for a sign, not to those who believe, but to unbelievers. But prophesying is not for unbelievers, but for those who believe. See, prophecy, telling about the rapture and future things, 
if you aren't a believer, you aren't going to be part of these things anyway. So prophesying is not for unbelievers, but for those who believe. Therefore, if the whole church comes together in one place and all speak with tongues, and there come in those who are uninformed or unbelievers, will they not say that you're out of your mind? But if all prophesy and an unbeliever or an uninformed person comes in, he is convinced by all. He's judged by all. And thus the secrets of his heart are revealed. And so falling down on his face, he will worship God and report that God is truly among you. How is it then, brethren, whenever you come together, each of you has a psalm, has a teaching, has a tongue, has a revelation and interpretation that all things be done for edification. If anyone speaks in a tongue, let there be two or, uh, or at the most three, each in turn, and let one interpret. But if there's no interpreter, let him keep silent in the church and let him speak to himself and to God. Let two or three prophets speak and let the others discern. But if anything is revealed to another who sits by, let the first keep silent. For you can all prophesy one by one that all may learn and all may be encouraged. And the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. Let your women keep silence in the church, for they are not permitted to speak. He's talking about tongues. Women are never to speak in tongues in the church, but they are to be submissive, as the law also says. And if they want to learn something, let them ask their own husbands at home, for it's shameful for women to speak in tongues in a church. Or did the word of God come originally from you? Or was it only you that it reached? If anyone thinks himself to be a prophet or spiritual, let him acknowledge that the things which I write to you are the commandments of the Lord. And if anyone is ignorant, let him be ignorant. Therefore, brethren, desire earnestly to prophesy and do not forbid to speak with tongues. Let all things be done decently and in order. I will stop here and next week we'll take chapter 15 and probably finish 1 Corinthians and head on into 2 Corinthians. Lord, we thank you for each one here today. Bless each family that's represented and each person and keep us safe in the hollow of your hand and our families too. And we just ask that you keep America safe, Lord. Just take charge of things. And we just ask that you would watch out for this hurricane. It's, it's possible just that no lives are lost. We can always replace things, but not people. So, Lord, we ask that you be with America. Bless us in every way. In Jesus' name, amen.